0: Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. Bullshit. Welcome back to Bullshit Filtered the News, episode 23, this day of our Trump, November 5th, 2018. My name's Cameron Riley. I'm doing a solo show today, going going into it by myself, um, because Ray is stuck. Just emailed me, gave me some bullshit excuse. Uh, What's this? I'm two miles from my house, but can't get to it. Some power lines are down, so the road is closed. They told me to come back in two or three hours. Sounds to me like he's at a pub. Uh, Drunk, but, uh, you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And we haven't done a show for a couple of weeks, and um, I'll I'll explain why. Um, So last week, Ray was traveling, I think. He was away. can't remember. He was doing something. Um, One of Ray's many vacations. Um, He takes more vacations than Trump, this guy. Um, but the week before that was my fault. Um, I, I I was hacked. Uh, my my entire identity was hacked, and I thought I'd start off this week telling you that story because it could happen to you, particularly if you live in Australia. Uh, I'm not sure how it works in the states, but uh, I, I think the risks are high everywhere. So basically, the story is this: uh, Chrissy and I and Fox had gone camping for the weekend. Our first uh, camping trip since Fox was born. Um, we love a bit of camping, Chrissy and I. Um, so we're, we're, we're um, in the hinterland of the Gold Coast in Queensland, hour and a half from home. Um, Tent set up, dinner's on the, the fire, and uh, we don't have a lot of mobile reception because we're out in the boonies. And uh, Chrissy, though, manages... I've got no reception. Chrissy gets um, a text message from her mobile service provider. Um, saying that her phone number is being ported. Um, Basically, it's being transferred to another service provider, another telco. Uh, Obviously, she didn't request this and was alarmed. Now, we were particularly alarmed because this has sort of happened to us once before, a few months ago. When we got back from Europe, we discovered that um, Chrissy's phone number uh, was being ported to another telco. And her bank account had been hacked and drained of funds. Um, and it, it had happened just before we got back from Europe um, and we were incommunicado, we were traveling. And uh, it took me like three weeks to get the money back, get her phone number back. I think she had an email address that was hacked um, Is all part of uh, this one uh, uh, identity theft. This time around, we kind of thought, uh-oh, it's happening again. So um, first thing on Sunday morning, we, we packed up and started heading back to the city. Um, and what we discovered along the way is, so in talking to uh, banks and, and tele- telecommunication providers, is that uh, we uh, both of our phone numbers had been attempted to be ported. They, she managed to catch hers because of that text message before it actually happened, but mine had already been done and I didn't even get a text message, maybe because I was incommunicado, maybe because they just didn't send me one. I think it's the latter. Um, and our bank account had been accessed and completely drained of funds, our main bank account. And um, my a couple of my emails had been hacked as well, and so um, we we had to spend a better part of a week, including that Monday when we normally record this new show, uh, fixing it all. So I wanted to to walk you through how this happens. Um, so basically, in this country, you can port your telephone number, mean basically transfer your mobile number from one telecommunications provider to another just by filling out a pretty simple form that, uh, with, the, with the new telco provider, just with your name, date of birth, address, your account number at the old telco. This was set up by um, the industry and pushed. they were pushed to do it by the federal government, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, because at the time they made it inordinately difficult, if not impossible, to transfer your mobile number between providers so they kind of had you locked in, and there wasn't a lot of competition because you didn't want to lose your telephone number that you might have had for several years. And um, they knew they could just the telcos would just gouge you. So this was pushed through. But, of course, what nobody foresaw back then was that uh, in 2018, we would be encouraged by many online service providers, including our banks, to use our mobile telephone numbers for two-factor authentication. Um, Now that we have that, if somebody can get access to your mobile number, even if it's just for a few minutes, they can use it to reset your passwords on everything. And this is what happened to us. So basically, what we found out later happened was this person, um, who we don't know who they are, but we know it wasn't just us that they did this uh, to a whole number of people. It was a widespread attack. They um, s- set up a new account, new mobile account in my name uh, and Chrissy's name separately with a, with a telco provider um, and filled out a transfer form online. And they must have had enough of our personal information that it was approved and the number was ported over. Once they had control of my mobile number, they must have also had my bank account details somehow. I'm not sure if they hacked my email first, or I think yeah, no, I think the bank account. Maybe it all happened at the same time. I don't know. Maybe they had my details because they already had hacked Chrissy's email uh, several months ago. And uh, I don't know she must have emailed something about my bank account details at some point. Anyway, they were able to l- try and log on to my online banking, our online banking. Um, say I forgot my password. The bank sends a four-digit code to the mobile number, which they, of course, were able to receive. And then they uh, were able to use that to to change the password on my bank account. They then set themselves up or or some sort of fake account as a recipient in my uh, banking uh, transfer recipient. And emptied uh, our joint bank account into this new um, bank account of theirs. And that was it. It was done. It took like 30 seconds. Um, And they also, at the same time, did the same thing with some of my email accounts uh, and tried to get in and did get into one of my PayPal accounts as well. The same way, can't remember my password, sends a text message to the mobile number. They use that to log in, change the password, also change the security questions, all that kind of stuff. So when you find out what's happened and you try to log in and you say, I don't know my password, they say, we'll send you a text message to this phone number. You go, well, I don't have that phone number. They go, okay, well, what are the answers to your security questions? And you can't answer that because this person has changed the answers to your security questions. Um Fortunately, this time around, um, I was able to play hardball with our bank, Um, and here's a tip for you if this ever happens to you. So I spoke to my bank, I won't say who the bank was, but they said, uh, oh yeah, okay, we can see what's happened, we will try to get the funds back for you, um, but we can't tell you how long that will take, there's a process we have to go through. And I said, no, no, just give me the money right now. Put it in my account. And they said, well, no, we don't, we, we don't have the money. We have to get it from the bank that it went to. And I said, no, no, it's money's money. I don't care whose money. <laughs> You've got money. Just give me the money that was you allowed to be taken out of my account fraudulently. Um, uh, and uh, how you get the other money back is your problem. They said, well, I'm sorry, that's not that's not our process. And I said, okay, well, look, uh, I understand, but. Let me tell you my process. Uh, if the full funds are not in my account by close of business today, I will be uh, submitting a complaint with the Financial Services Industry Ombudsman. It's a thing we have in Australia, sort of a Quango, quasi-government organisation set up to uh, uh, keep the telcos honest. And I'll be uh, explaining your negligence. Um, the, you know the fact that my wife's account, which she's also on this account, was already hacked. Uh, through your security systems uh, three months ago. You told us at the time that you were going to take extra precautions and tighten up the security on, on that account. And yet, within several minutes, you allowed a password to be changed, a new recipient to be set up, and the entire bank account drained, and that didn't create any red flags or alerts in your system. You know, I can't even go overseas and spend money on a credit card Myself without my credit card company, you know, raising an alert or a flag and saying, Hold on, uh, we better get verbal confirmation from you before that happens. Now, okay, this person had hacked my account. Maybe even if they'd done the verbal confirmation, the person who'd hacked the phone number in the account probably would have got away with it. The point is, they didn't even do that and they allowed it all to happen. They said, Okay. Um, Anyway, so two hours later, uh, somebody else, more senior in the organization, calls me and says, All the funds are back in your account. and uh sorry. So we got that. We got our phone numbers back. It took a few days. Um well, I got my phone number back. Chrissy was able to stop hers from being transferred. Oh no, it did it did end up getting transferred. She had to get it back too. Um and then once I had my phone number back, I could get my emails back. Fortunately, I think the emails didn't have any information that could be used uh for a further identity theft, but that's what they do. They hack in, they get as much of your personal information as they can, and then they use it to hack everything. So um What we have done to prevent this happening again, this is what I wanted to warn you about, tell you about a couple of things. Number one, I shut down those bank accounts and set up bank accounts at a different bank. And the the bank that I set it up with has physical security tokens. If you were around in the eighties or the nineties, you may remember what these looked like. I remember I needed one of these to get into my office at Microsoft for a while. Um, Also, I think my office at Citibank when I worked there, it's basically a little plastic digit with a little led screen and a And a button, Uh, that's all it is. And um, it has uh, uh, some sort of an algorithm on the back end and it it has some sort of a secret key. Uh, It's synchronized with a key on the server. So now um, every time uh, I try to log in to my online banking with my new bank account, uh, I have to physically have this key to type in the number um, online or it won't let me in. Um, Same if any transfers are done or any new recipients are set up for money to be transferred to, etc. So that hopefully is a lot harder to hack. There's no mobile number that can be used to to log in or to, to change the password on that. For everything else that I could, I'm using Google Authenticator for the rest of my accounts. Uh, this is, includes Gmail passwords and logins and um, a whole bunch of other services, Dropbox, um, I think Evernote, Stripe, uh, PayPal. Uh, no, maybe not PayPal. PayPal doesn't support Google Authenticator, but most online sites do. Now, Google, Google Authenticator is an app-based version of this little security token. When you, uh, you download the app on your phone, um, and then when you set it up with a particular online service, let's say uh, uh, Google, a Google email account. On their server side, they have a key on my phone, the app on my phone. It has a key that creates a random key that they stay in sync. Um, and every time I log in, I have to open up that app on my phone and type in the code that appears there to let me in. The only way somebody can hack that is they would need to get my phone. Basically, they would need to physically have my phone to be able to uh, intercept that and hack it. Um, Where I can't use either of those two, and the only place I think where that is true is PayPal. I have a separate phone. We pulled out an old iPhone 4 that had been sitting in the cupboard for years. Manages to hold a charge. Got a separate SIM card for that with a separate phone number. That will remain hidden and secret and not public. No one will know that it exists apart from us. Um, and that is used for two-factor authentication on services that won't let me do anything differently. Where You, rec- you have to have a number for two-factor authentication. Hopefully, uh, because that number is not public... Um, no one will be able to port it because they won't know it exists my My mainstream number, of course, is all over my website my all my webs and all my all my things you know it's it 's out there so um that 's what i've done to try and lock everything down um over the last couple of weeks and I thought i'd share that with you. It was a bit of a stressful week that 's why we didn't have a news show. Um, literally I had to spend better part of three or four days just uh, working out a better security system and moving everything over. And I, I still have to go file a police report. I haven't got around to that yet. Not that they're going to do anything, um, but uh, good just to have it. Because one of the things that you also have to do is then contact the credit agencies and say, don't let anyone uh, open any new credit applications with my information. Because again, they, if they get enough of your details... They can open up a line of credit in your name. They can fake your identity to do that. That's when you know you can end up with a hundred thousand dollars of debt on your name. Fun, fun, fun. Not sure how it works in other countries, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't have something similar to this uh, easy porting solution. I, r- I rang the telcos and said, "What do I do to stop?" people from being able to port my number. Like, can you put a note on my file, a flag, say, that says don't port this number unless Cameron appears in person at an office of ours with 100 points of identification and proves that he is who he says he is. And they all said, no, no, we can't do that. It's all automated. It's all software based. There's no ability to intervene in the process um basically the the number my main number that I've had for seven or eight years that I got back, there is nothing stopping these people porting that number today again. absolutely nothing. They have all my information they could port it in a heartbeat today tomorrow next week and I wouldn't know about it until it's too late. Fortunately um, the worst that they can do now is actually have my phone number for a couple of days uh, because um, it's not, uh accessible uh it's not you can't use it for for security purposes anywho that is that um let me tell you about some other things let's talk about monsanto i don't know if you've seen this but um monsanto or their parent company bayer uh just lost a major uh court case. In um, San Francisco, Monsanto, um, if you're not familiar with who they are, they make mostly chemicals. Uh, they're, most famously, they make a product called Roundup, but they make a lot of agro-agricultural um, products, right? Um, poisons and fertilizers and all of that kind of stuff, insecticides, etc., so um, they make a product called Roundup. It's been around a long time. Been a lot of controversy about it over the years. Um, and it's uh, whether or not it's good for you or bad for you. Um, by the way, Monsanto has been around since 1901. It started in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. kind to of St. Louis. I don't know. I don't know how you guys pronounce it over there, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Initially made food additives, artificial sweeteners, caffeine, vanilla. Um, Anyway, but then it moved into poisons, that kind of stuff, real poisons, not just saccharine poisons, but real poisons. Anyway, big lawsuit. So a school groundsman um, in, I think, San Francisco, Dwayne Johnson, not The Rock, Uh, He's terminally ill, uh, and he sued Monsanto, said it was their product Roundup that gave him cancer. I think it's uh, non-Hodgson's lymphoma that he's got. In August, a San Francisco jury awarded him $250 million in punitive damages. Uh, Deliberately, a very, very high number, to punish Monsanto. Uh, and there was also, I think, on top of that, another $39 million in compensatory damages for his pain and suffering. Now, of course, Monsanto appealed that and uh, asked a San Francisco Superior Court to overrule the jury's entire award for punitive damages. But um, she ruled last week. Um, she reduced it. She didn't uh, over throw it out, but she reduced it. I think down to seventy million or something like that. Um, uh, uh, Thirty-nine million. The punitive damages. Anyway, yeah, I think he's getting seventy or eighty million all up now. She reduced it to the same as the compensatory damages. Um, and now Monsanto are going to appeal the appeal, the decision again, and see what they can get away with. Uh, there, are some, there are apparently 9,000 other similar cases uh, awaiting the outcome of this trial before they have a go. And I've read estimates that if all of these cases uh, take this as a precedent and now sue Monsanto, They could be looking at hundreds of billions in damages, up to $800 billion in damages is one number that I've read. Now, uh, as I said, the German drugs and chemicals company Bayer, who uh, I think from our War on Drugs and Series I recall first made heroin, uh they uh bought monsanto for 63 billion dollars uh, not too long ago now their share price has collapsed um after this ruling um but it's been collapsing for some time honestly a year ago it was trading at 120 now it's down to about 70 that's a big collapse but the question is does roundup actually cause cancer now, the the key product, the key component, ingredient in Roundup is something called glyphosate. It's the active ingredient. Um, Roundup's a weed killer, by the way, um, if you're not familiar with that. Does it actually cause cancer or particularly non-Hodgkin lymphoma? Now, uh, there's a lot of debate about this, uh, maybe unsurprisingly. Um, the, The litigation is based on A ruling that came out in 2015 by the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, they ruled that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. But that report has come under a lot of criticism for other scientists. Now, <clears throat> you might say, well, yes, we've seen that before. You know, It's like climate change or tobacco was in the 50s and 60s. Scientists can be bought, scientists can be bribed. And whilst that is true, I don't think there's any evidence that that's actually what's going on here. There hasn't been any expose that the scientists that are criticizing the IARC's position are on the take. Um, By by Monsanto or Bayer or anyone else in the weed killer or glyphosate industry Uh, but it's possible but I know people jump to that conclusion Uh, conspiracy theories are fun Um, and and you're probably listening to this right now thinking I'm on the take and let me tell you I wish I was and if anyone from Monsanto wants to contact me, Bayer uh, let's sit down and have a conversation Uh, I'd love to know what's on offer but uh, no, we're not on the take, and I've, I've just been reading the science because yeah, I'm interested. My dad was a school groundsman who died of cancer. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I could sue? I don't know. Um, so here's the background of the science that I was able to find uh, just with a few hours of research last night. Now, this IARC classification relied mostly on experiments done in mice. Uh, now, whether or not experiments done on mice are enough to draw a line to say that's also true of humans is a good question. Uh, a lot of people would say it's not. You know, if if experiments done on mice determine a result, then it might be an indicator that we should do experiments on humans. We should do some testing. We uh, not that we should give humans. Uh, a glyphosate sandwich and say, eat this and we'll see how you look tomorrow. Um, but we can do a cohort research where you take a whole bunch of people and you you do some studies on them. So basically, cohort research is you take a whole bunch of people that have used glyphosate, they've um, used Roundup, you take a bunch of people that, that haven't used it, you take a, a control group that's neither here nor there, you don't really know. And you observe them over a period of time and and see whether or not the people that use Roundup uh, have statistically higher rates of developing cancers versus the control group and the non-Roundup group. And then you try and isolate other potential things that they might be doing, like are they chain smokers or whatever, they got skin cancer or all these other things that might cause cancers. Basically, being alive uh, causes cancer, as far as I can tell these days. Eating, drinking, smoking, anything is going to give you cancer. Anyway, um, now these rodents in this uh, study that the IRC was looking at were given oral doses of glyphosate for up to 89% of their lifespan at concentrations much higher than humans would normally be exposed to, safe exposure levels. Um, Now, Four Corners' uh, investigative journalist TV show in Australia recently did a report about Monsanto possibly covering up evidence for a link between glyphosate and cancer. So I want to put that in there. Um, for full transparency. Um, But on the flip side, uh, there's a bunch of scientists that say no, there is no link based on other studies that have been done between glyphosate and cancer. For example, Ian Musgrave, who's the senior lecturer in pharmacology at the University of Adelaide, says it's very unlikely that Roundup causes cancer. He said the IARC's conclusion was arrived at using a narrower base of evidence than other recent peer-reviewed papers and governmental reviews. For example, there was the Agricultural Health Study done in the U.S. They followed more than 50,000 people over 10 years. Their their report came out this year, 2018. They said that in the populations with the highest exposure to glyphosate, there was, uh, if any, risk of cancer, it was exceedingly small. It also showed that the risk of non-Hodgkin lymphoma from uh, exposure to glyphosate was negligible. Not just them, in 2015 Germany's Federal Institute for Risk Assessment said that glyphosate was neither mutagenic nor carcinogenic. Then in 2015 also, the European Food Safety Authority concluded glyphosate was unlikely to pose a carcinogenic hazard. Now the IR. LAARC, the World Health Organization's group, didn't take into account the extent of exposure to glyphosate uh, to determine whether or not it has an association with cancer. while the others did. So how much you're taking and how long you're taking, you're exposed to it for. Uh, also, studies examined by the European Food Safety Authority uh, included nine rat studies where no cancers were seen not even in the poor little rats. Mice and rats difference? Maybe. I don't know. But out of five mouse studies, three showed no cancers, even at the highest doses. One study did show tumors, but they weren't dose dependent. So that's kind of weird, right? Um, According to this uh, study that I read, it suggests that the cancers might have been just Random, you know, the, the mice in that study just randomly <clears throat> had developed cancers, which probably happens, and it's not caused by the glyphosate. And in another study, tumors were seen at the highest doses, but only in the male mice. So research is interesting. It's, it sounds very inconclusive. European Food Safety Authority looked at 21 human studies and found no evidence for an association between cancer and glyphosate. Now, the IARC again looked at 19 human trials and found no statistically significant evidence for an association with cancer, but it did find three small studies that suggested an association with non Hodgkin lymphoma, although it wasn't even statistically significant when they did find it. But it was enough for them to say, hey, listen, there there, there might be a connection. And obviously, juries uh, aren't epidemiological experts, epidemiology, study of causes, I think. Um, so when you have a jury trial, you're at the mercy of uh, whose attorney's uh, more persuasive whether it's the prosecutor or the defense. Anyway, so that happened. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Personally, I, I don't know. I I was surprised by this, actually, because I'd always heard that Roundup was poisonous. I've got a very bad opinion of Monsanto and a, a lot of their corporate conduct, uh, particularly in developing countries, uh, and their, their attempts to... Um, uh, 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 what do you call it, where you, you you patent, patent seeds, that's what I'm thinking of, patent seeds, basically copyright copywriting seeds and then suing farmers for using copyrighted seeds or patented seeds on their farms. Um, but uh, the science in this, at least from what I read, uh, doesn't seem to indicate that Roundup is very, very dangerous. So the glyphosate is very, very dangerous. Um, now, I know some of you out there probably have a lot more experience and knowledge about this. I know Oscar Pierce, Farmer Oscar, uh, seems to think that Roundup is bad for you. So send me some, send me some links, send me some studies, and um, I'll do a follow-up uh, next week or in a couple of weeks. Speaking of follow-ups, let's talk about Jamal Khashoggi. Now, when we last discussed the Khashoggi murder three weeks ago, the uh, Saudis were still acting ignorant. They am like, oh, he's fine. He left here. He's in great shape. Pump, he was pumping iron when he left. He was pumping the air, pumping iron, dancing, skipping down the street. Um, then uh, about a week after that, they said, yeah, no, he's dead. Um, but, but it was an accident. We just wanted to talk. Um, and he started a fight, and we fought back, and he got choked. He was put in a chokehold, and he accidentally died. Now they're saying, no, no, we murdered him. Um, but uh, it was a rogue operation, and the royal family knew nothing about it. it. had nothing to do with the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, or the king, um, or anyone else in any position of authority. Just crazy rogue guys. Who flew in on official royal jets and and decided to just murder this guy who had been critical of uh, the crown prince? But we we had nothing to do with it. No, no. And of course, the global community um has been up in arms over this and done absolutely nothing, uh, apart from waggle a few fingers and say tisk tisk very loudly. Nothing. Has been done from the United States or from Australia or from anywhere else. Really, uh, I think maybe Germany has said, "Well, we're not going to sell you any more weapons." And the Saudis are like, "Well, we hardly buy any fucking weapons from you anyway, so we don't care." M- Macron in France went, "Oh, that's horrible, but we're going to keep selling him weapons." Uh, don't don't worry about that. Absolutely, and of course, Donald Trump has said something very similar. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel um, has urged that the Saudis be given a pass for the murder. They're like, yeah, okay, it was a bad thing, but look, they're good guys, the Saudis. Now, keep in mind that the Saudis and the Israelis are supposedly mortal enemies. Uh, But, uh, you know, the the US have been able to keep them at bay for the last uh, 40, 50 years, even though the 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 saudis are wahhabi and the wahhabi are fundamentalist islam and they they all of the the terrorist organizations that have come out of extremist islam uh the the al qaedas and the ISIS's and those sorts of organizations um are wahhabist and they hate the jews no not not they don't hate the jews they just hate the jews that are living on arab land as they see it um, and and oppressing the the arabs particularly in, in palestine but uh the pm of israel yeah has gone, yeah look uh, we we like the saudi royal family it's okay let them, let them off with this don't don't just just let's be happy with the tisk tisk this is even after cnn aired footage of a saudi operative supposedly leaving the consulate dressed up in disguise as Khashoggi and some sort of cover-up to make it look like he actually did leave. Look, we've got security footage of him leaving. He was happy. He was fine. Um, So, yeah. Now, I did mention in our first coverage of this, this this Apple Watch story. Supposedly, he was wearing an Apple Watch. His iPhone was outside with his fiancée, and his Apple Watch was recording and streaming everything that happened, and somehow the... Turkish government got hold of this audio uh, and this is uh, how they're reaching all of their conclusions because of all of the information about his murder so far is still coming from the Turkish government. Now, um, what I read after that was the whole Apple Watch story is probably bogus um Every analysis I've read said there's no way this could happen. Certainly, uh, even if it could happen, how the hell would the Turkish government have been able to get hold of, let's say his 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 watch was streaming it to his iPhone or to his iCloud account or something, um, how would the uh, Turkish government have got hold of that? There's no story about the fiancé finding it and giving it to them or anything like that. She would have released it if she had it, I'm quite sure. So um, the story apparently was probably that the Turkish government had bugged the Saudi uh, consulate. And uh, they don't want to admit that. So they're saying, oh, it was his Apple Watch that recorded all of this, not that we were spying um, on the Saudi consulate all along. But uh, the Saudis are now saying it was rogue killers. Um, Who are they? We don't know. Who gave the order? We don't know. What's going to happen to them? Well, the Saudis claim They've been arrested. They're saying 18 guys have been arrested and that they will be prosecuted in Saudi Arabia. The Turkey is trying to extradite them, saying, hey, it happened on our soil. We want to try them here. But uh, Saudis are going, oh, no, 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 it's fine. We've got it under control. We got it. It's like when the military say they'll prosecute their own. Although there has been one story that one of the Saudis that was involved in this uh, died in a mysterious traffic accident a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mashal Saad al-Bostani, supposedly 31, supposedly a lieutenant in the Saudi Royal Air Force, was supposedly uh, a member of the HIT team. And uh, according to a Turkish newspaper, he uh, was killed in a mysterious car accident. But again, all this information is coming from Turkey. And as I said in the last show, we know the Turkish government under Erdogan can't be trusted. They're corrupt as fuck. So... Everyone's basing their information on either the Saudis or the Turks, and neither of them can really be trusted. Uh, There are uh, lies and agendas within agendas here, and I want to talk about one of these agendas. So, before I get into that, some sources are now saying that Khashoggi was uh, about to disclose the Saudis' use of chemical weapons in Yemen. Again, that's not really confirmed by anything other than rumors The BBC is also reporting, and again they're getting this from the Turks, uh, that he was strangled as soon as he entered the consulate and his body was dissolved in acid. But then other sources are saying his body was removed in suitcases still. So maybe they were removed in suitcases, then taken to the consul's uh, residence where they were dissolved in acid. Maybe his name is Walter White. We're not sure. Um, but again, this is all coming from Turkish sources, so who the hell knows? Now, speaking of agendas, one thing that I have learned in the last couple of weeks that I thought was interesting and doesn't get a lot of talk uh, about in the media is the fact that Khashoggi was apparently the protege of Prince Turkey bin Faisal al Saud, who was, uh, I think he's the grandson of Ibn Saud, very high up in the Saudi royal family. He was the head of Saudi intelligence for 24 years. Uh, resigned conveniently, uh, you might say, 10 days before the 9 11 attacks, um, which, as we know, were done mostly by Saudis. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And he resigned just before they happened. Mm. Make of that what you will. Uh, He was also then the Saudi ambassador, both to Washington and to London. And during that period, like 2003 to 2007, his media advisor, who went with him, worked very closely with him, was Jamal Khashoggi. Let that sink in for a moment. The guy who was the head of Saudi intelligence, prince, royal family, for 24 years, uh, and resigned just before the 9-11 attacks, was very close friends and a working colleague with Jamal Khashoggi. Now, throughout uh, certainly this period, Khashoggi apparently was quite close to the CIA. Um, and even going back before that, he seems to have been fairly closely involved with the Saudi royals. Um, you know, as I explained in the last show, his... Uh, father, Ad, uh, uncle, sorry, Adnan Khoshogi was a one of the world's biggest arms dealers, very, very rich, um, and Jamal, you know, had lots of ins with uh, the Royals, the Saudi Royals. Now um, that's how he ended up interviewing Osama bin Laden. Was apparently something to do with his access to both Saudi intelligence and U.S. intelligence services. Remember that. Osama bin Laden in the 80s worked closely with the CIA. Um, They basically funded the Mujahideen and trained them to to fight the the Soviets in Afghanistan. Um, And so after he was an ambassador, uh, Turkey bin Faisal al-Saud went on to teach at Georgetown University. I think he's been teaching there for 10 years, uh, Saudi relations or something. He's apparently been ordered by MBS to go on a public relations campaign now in New York and Washington to uh, wave the flag for how nice and friendly the Saudi regime is. Um, but yeah, the relationship between Turkey, uh, the the guy, not the country, and Khashoggi doesn't really get talked about a lot in the media articles that are out there. Also, we have to keep in mind too that, the, that MBS... Became crown prince only a year ago, June 2017, when he replaced Mohammed bin Nayef, who was another, another, another royal, um, who was the crown prince only for a couple of years. Uh, a couple of assassination attempts on him. Apparently, he might have got pretty injured by one. There was a guy that had a bomb stitched into his anus. I kid you not. And he triggered it near uh, Bin Naef and uh, blew himself up. Um, Nayef, uh got injured, supposedly, according to one story anyway, became addicted to painkillers after that, started to make him a bit loopy, which might have been one of the reasons why he was replaced. But uh, Naef was also very close to the CIA. He was given an award by the CIA uh, around 2015, 16, something like that, for being a... Great friend to the CIA. Uh, I think he was also. I think he'd gone through training, FBI training uh, in the '80s as well. So these guys very closely tied into the Americans. Um, but my point of all this is, Khashoggi wasn't a critic of the Saudi regime before his guys, but Bin Nayef. Um, and and that uh, the party within the royals was overthrown in a coup by um, MBS a little over a year ago, a little over a year before Khashoggi's murder. So he's getting portrayed in the media as a dissident journalist. But really, he was just a critic of the guy that replaced his guy. Uh, he was quite friendly with Bin Nayef. He was quite friendly with um, Turkey Bin Faisal Al Saud. Um, who, you know, Saudi Arabia has been an incredibly oppressive, toxic regime forever. Um, Khashoggi didn't have any problem with this uh, oppressive regime until there was a palace coup. He ended up on the outs on the wrong side of the palace coup. Then he became a dissident and then he got killed. But again, that story not really being told by the mainstream media. Less of a dissident, more of a disgruntled political player. Still, no justification for his murder, but again, as I predicted last time, nothing's going to happen. This is all going to blow over. They'll wait for the news cycle to blow over, and that'll be it. Last story before I go, um, the Pittsburgh shooter was a Christian. Um, obviously, uh, terrible shooting at a synagogue a week or so ago in the U.S. in Pittsburgh. Um, the shooter Goes by the name of Robert Bowers. Walked in a few weapons. I think one semi-automatic and a couple of pistols from memory. Eight people dead, more injured. Um, He was uh, posting before that on a social media site I'd never heard of, but it's called Gab. It's a bit like Twitter, apparently, but uh, less um, uh, uh, locked down. And uh, like in terms of uh, uh, um, what they will allow, they will allow pretty much anything. They would until they were taken offline, by the way. They've been offline since the shooting. But uh, he posted on that, uh, Jews are the children of Satan, John 844. The Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, of course, as you may know, uh, the vast majority of terrorists in the United States or terrorist attacks, let's say that, in the United States in the last 10 years have been committed by right-wing white supremacists or white nationalists. Um, and they're mostly Christians. Oh, hey, time to do some things. Um, they're mostly Christians. Uh, there was another shooting in the U.S. Uh, in the last week or so um, at a yoga studio in Tallahassee. That shooter, also a Christian, um uh, uh but here's the thing finding out that these people are Christians is inordinately difficult because the mainstream media if if a Muslim person uh, commits a, a terrorist attack in the US every story you read about it says Muslim or Islamic extremist Islamic terrorist every story that's how it's defined they're an Islamic terrorist when a christian extremist, commits a terrorist act. They are a right-wing extremist or a white supremacist or a lone wolf or a loner. Every time, that's the story. You will not find stories referring to them very often as a Christian, Christian terrorist. Even when the guy, the Tallahassee guy, walked into a yoga studio uh, sorry, no, no, he's not the one. Even the guy, when the guy walked into the synagogue. That's what I'm thinking. If he walked into the synagogue, all Jews must die. Obviously, religious hate crime. He's still not referred to in the coverage as a uh, Christian extremist. He's a right-wing extremist or a anti-Semite. <laughs> Code words, right? They don't, We don't come out, or the American media don't come out and say he's a Christian. And I think it's because if they do that, if they treat Christian terrorists the same way they would treat Islamic terrorists, they would just find themselves on the brunt of all manner of uh, hate mail and probably terrorist threats against themselves from more Christian terrorists, right? It's fascinating to me. Now, um, I pulled up one study by the Center for Investigative Reporting um, it's from June 2017. Said that uh, four times as many terrorist incidents in the U.S. between 2008 and 2016 were committed by right-wing Christians rather than by Muslims. Four times as many. Except, but we don't hear. Where, where's the conversation about what is it about Christianity that is making these people? terrorists you don't hear that conversation i don't hear it anyway muslims do it oh fuck it's all over the media what is it about islam why aren't muslims doing something about this let's shut down islam it's fundamentally broken it's driving people towards terrorism when the christians do it we don't hear any of that people and if it does come up at all people will say well they're not real christians this is what my christian friends will say well they're not real christians if they do that who says? Oh, well, I say. Well, how do you know they're not real Christians? Well, because they did a horrible thing, right? But Christians have been doing horrible things for two thousand years. Why? <laughs> well, they weren't real Christians either. Oh, okay. So the the guys that were popes for fifteen hundred years, and bishops, and cardinals, and 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 uh, <laughs> uh, missionaries to to to. Africa and Australia and, and Asia and, and and South America, who did horrible things. They weren't Christians either. No, no, no. They 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 weren't real Christians. Um, only I am a real Christian. I get to decide who's a Christian, and who's not. But of course, if Muslims came out and said, "Well, those people aren't really Muslims," it, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, get accepted that that uh, that um, position on it. Um, now, I will say again, for full transparency, that. Uh, Here's some numbers from 2001, from September 12th 2001 to December 31st 2016. There were 85 attacks in the United States by violent extremists, resulting in 225 deaths. This leaves out the Mandalay Bay attack last year, etc. It's before that. Of those 225 deaths, 106 were killed by far-right violent extremists in 62 separate incidents. 119 individuals were killed by radical Islamist violent extremists in 23 separate incidents. There are also some left-wing incidents, but they're the vast, vast minority. They're very tiny by comparison. They're mostly environmental, eco-activists and that kind of stuff. Um, So more people in that time frame, this is obviously leaving out the 9-11 attacks more people were killed by Islamist violent extremists in that period, September 12, 2001 to December thirty first, two 2016, uh, than by far-right, aka Christian extremists, but not by many, by a few. There was, and there was three times as many separate incidents by the christians and there were i think um the islam uh death toll there the islamic death toll a lot of those 41 percent of those come from a single attack the 2016 orlando nightclub shooting which was obviously horrific and um i don't think it had a lot to do with uh religion i think it was uh, he was closeted gay guy from memory but anyway so my only point here is uh, when Christians do it they're not referred to as Christians in the media they're referred to as uh, right wing extremists lone wolves white supremacists code words because they can't say Christian extremists they feel very comfortable saying Islamic extremists but not Christian extremists so pay attention to that um, and and you know if you like me go looking for like the Robert Bowers guy uh, from Pittsburgh and the guy from Tallahassee, um, it took me a long time to find any evidence that they were Christians. Um, Usually, it just comes from screen grabs of their profiles on sites like Gab or LinkedIn or something like that that people are able to dig up. You'll see screen grabs appear in Reddit and places like that where eager beavers get out there and do a bit of quick um, investigative research before all those sites get taken down. But you won't hear the mainstream media mention the C word in relation to these shootings. All right. That's the news show for this week. It's a short one. Um, and hopefully we'll be back with Ray next week. Uh, have a good week, people. Bullshit. Bullshit. Bullshit.